Perception. Perception is reality. Reality. Perception is reality. Reality. Some talk shows think all of their opinions are right. This one, this one knows they are. This is Perception is Reality. Christopher H. Bilbury is a no-nonsense, well, maybe a little bit of nonsense, political activist, local government watchdog, and all-around good Hoosier and God-fearing American citizen. Is this guy for real? Holding lawmakers accountable and educating citizens on the importance of participating in their local government with a dab of national and world politics and a little pop culture and maybe some real-life common sense. This, this is, is Perception is Reality. And this is Christopher H. Bilbrey. John Adams has a hideous, hermaphroditical character, which have neither the force and firmness of a man, nor the gentleness and sensibility of a woman. So are the words of James Callender, a partisan newspaper editor during the 1800s. These were his words. Men of Virginia, pause and ponder upon those instructive ciphers and these incontestable facts. Ye will then judge for yourselves on the point of an American Navy. Ye will judge without regard to the prattle of a president, the prattle of that strange compound of ignorance and ferocity, of deceit and weakness, without regard to that hideous hermaphroditical character, which has neither the force and firmness of a man, nor the gentleness and sensibility of a woman. Welcome, folks. I am Christopher H. Bilbrey. This is the 69th episode of Perception is Reality. Thank you for listening. You are, of course, listening on your favorite podcast hosting site or the home link, which is perception.fireside.fm. Please, as you share these shows, specifically this episode, do so by telling your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, and anyone on social media that you can, of course, find us on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Radio Public, and many, many more. And, of course, always, like I mentioned, at the home link of perception.fireside. FM. But getting back to what I was talking about just a moment ago, this quotation that I just read is from a newspaper political hack, I guess you'd call him today, a quote that appears in a pamphlet that Calendar published called The Prospect Before Us. It was published in either 1800 or 1801, and he is speaking of John Adams, and of course we all know that name. But who is James Calendar, other than, at the time, a partisan newspaper editor? Well, Mr. Calendar, as it turns out, was a friend, supporter, and a quote-unquote hired gun by the Vice President of the United States of America, Thomas Jefferson, who hired Calendar to write this nasty little barb at 
the then president of the United States of America, which of course was John Adams, during the campaign between Jefferson and Adams. And if you're asking yourself, yep, that's right, folks, our founding fathers had feuds similar to what politicians today have, and they also made comments and barbs and unkind remarks to one another, similar to remarks made in campaigns today. But before we get on with the point and the episode, I don't want to leave you thinking that Thomas Jefferson was just some kind of horrible asshole and John Adams was completely innocent and free of disparaging remarks. Oh no, 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 that's not quite correct. Supporters of John Adams claimed that Jefferson and his followers were cutthroats who wore rags and slept among the filth and vermin. Who remembers the presidential election of 2016? I mean, we're gearing up for it all over again right now. We are in the middle of the 2020 presidential election. I feel like I could have heard these exact same words from either Trump or his supporters or Hillary Clinton and her supporters or any of the 235 Democrats that are currently running. Keep in mind, what was said was hideous, hermaphroditic characters or trash, filth, and vermin. I mean, my God, I can actually see that tweet. And this sparring back and forth between Thomas Jefferson and John Adams really isn't anything odd or out of the ordinary. Throughout history, during various different presidential campaigns and other campaigns for offices like Congress and Senate, and then of course the state offices for governor and then the various state office holders, we have seen some of our most revered political figures part of elections where they, their supporters, and their opponents all took shots at one another and said different nasty things because politics is not for the weak or is not for the faint of heart. And it's always been like that. The difference is how these revered politicians from our history viewed their job, the role, how they and their supporters looked at campaigns and what campaigns meant, and then, more importantly, what they thought of the country, their countrymen, and what they felt about each other after the election was over. And don't get me wrong, after the people were sworn in, and after they were then in the business of working for the country or working for each individual state, however, whichever office, there were still a lot of politics that were going on. People trying to keep people straight, people trying to keep people accountable, transparent, keeping checks and balances working. However, they realized even though their candidate didn't win or if you were the winning candidate and you realized there are people out there that didn't support you, if you were in that position, you realized you're no longer the candidate, but instead the official for the whole body. If it's the president, you're for the whole country. If you're the governor, it's for the whole state. If you're the mayor, it's for the whole city. And the people whose candidate didn't win realized 
this person is my mayor, this person is my governor, this person is my president, whether or not I voted for them or I agree with them. So they did the best they could to work together for the betterment of the city or the town or the county or the state or the country. Now, that's not to say that people still didn't keep each other straight. They didn't keep each other accountable. That still goes on. But when it happens, you have to look and understand that it's not personal. It's political. And that's a lot of how these campaigns were able to work as recently as the 1950s and 1960s and even into the 70s without the complete hatred that we see today that we've specifically seen from 2000 forward, specifically in 2015, 16, and moving forward. Now, when you are in someone's camp or you're in someone's campaign or you support somebody, it's them or nothing, and there are no other ideas that can work, not ever, not once, and if you try to do it, I'm going to poke your eyeballs out. And it's that kind of thinking that leads us into the quagmire that we are in today, and honestly, I think it comes down to two simple words, opponent versus enemy. And we're going to talk about those two words just on the other side of this quick break. You're listening to Perception is Reality, episode number 69. I'm calling Opponent versus Enemy. I'm Christopher H. Bilbrey, and we'll be right back. Hey, Kevin, thinking about saving for retirement? Yeah, but how do I start? It's easy with Avvo, a retirement coach. Let's learn the Avvo bet. Not anxiety? No, Kevin, you're going to be fine. You sick? Barely. V is for variety. Huh, change up my strategy. Okay. O is for optimize your savings. Let Avo lead the way. Visit aceyourretirement.org today. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Perception. Perception is reality. Reality. Perception is reality. Reality. I mean, can't you just see a Donald Trump tweet that says hideous, hermaphroditical character? Absolutely, I see that. All right, here is what's wrong today. No matter whether you're talking about the 2016 presidential election, the 2020 presidential election that's gearing up, or any local election, state election, or anything else where you've got two or more sides bitching at each other about their beliefs, not being able to listen to other people, and then once the election is over, being so freakishly obsessed with their flag waver, the person who holds their banner, that they're not willing to listen Not only to any other ideas, but any criticisms. I mean, hell, don't you remember a time 
where a certain amount of constructive criticism was good. And if we're talking about transparency, I mean, do you remember a time when folks would say there is no such thing as a stupid question? Really, what we're hearing today is there is no such thing as a stupid question unless Christopher Bilbrey's asking it. And it's not just me. It's actually anyone who dares to ask a question. And some will say, well, wait a minute. Aren't you the people that you're talking about? Because you're asking questions of this person or that person. And I say, wait a minute. What if I'm asking a question of someone I supported? What do you think then? No, I'm not that other person. I'm not the person keeping the fight going. I'm a person wanting to get to the bottom of things, to keep people accountable. I like transparency, and I like asking questions. Why is that a wrong thing? Where did we go wrong? When did asking a question to someone that is a public servant become a problem? And it's because the elections are so crazy and the hate and the vitriol and all of the crap during the elections that people are so used to getting so entrenched in their ways of thinking and their beliefs and I have to support John Doe. I love John Doe. John Doe is good. John Doe can do no wrong. John Doe is the answer. And if anybody dares ask John Doe, hey, where did you get those pants? Whoa, you can't ask where he got those pants. Are you calling him a liar? Are you this or that? No, wait a minute. I was just asking Commissioner John Doe a question. I supported Commissioner John Doe. I don't have any ill will. I just heard three other people talking about those pants, and we liked them. So I decided I would ask. It's not a personal attack. It's just a question. But then, what if, and I know this is a strange, strange possibility, and no one can understand this, but what if Commissioner John Doe has a thought, a feeling, a concern, and makes a statement that I simply don't agree with. It doesn't, again, make him a bad person or make me a bad person. It just means I disagree, and I should be able to state that I disagree. However, in today's new society, when supporters of officials and supporters of candidates are so entrenched, it's almost like a brainwashing. They can't take any other way of life than what their candidate, their official, Commissioner John Doe, thinks or feels. And if anybody thinks or feels differently, they are bad. And that's just not true. It can't be true. It will never be true. But it's because people are so entrenched. And it's because of those two words that I talked about before the break. Opponent versus enemy. And let's look at those two words for a second, shall we? If you look at the definition for opponent. You will find someone who competes against or fights with another in a contest, a game, a race, an argument, or political campaign is even given. 
It's someone that is a rival or adversary. If you search the definition for the phrase political opponent or political opponents, you will find another set of politicians or someone who belongs to a different party or who has different aims or policies than you or a different politician in the field of politics. If we look at the word opponent, everyone has used that word. A lot of times you'll talk about it in a sporting event. Baseball, football, the opponents or the away team, they are seen as the opponents. You look at beating the opponents in the baseball game or you're going to beat your opponent at ping pong or you're going to beat your opponent at a race to the mailbox and back. An opponent is seen as someone who you are trying to overcome in some kind of sport or event like a political campaign where at the end of the day, you're not looking to kill this person. You're just simply trying to win to be the victor. In another way of looking at it, an opponent is someone that you battle in a game. Like, for example, on Monday Night Football, you will see two opponents playing a football game in a stadium. Or, more in line with what we're talking about here, at one point in our history, you might have found two political opponents, a Republican and a Democrat, in a political campaign for president or governor or county commissioner or mayor. And when you look at those examples, of those opponents, whether it's the football game or our former elections, you're going to find two people or teams of people who have great appreciation for the game, the sport, the event, or the election that they are participating in. There is an underlying set of rules that both teams or both opponents decide that they will play by and they understand the rules. There is a willingness to abide by the outcome of the event or the election. There is a mutual respect of not necessarily your opponent, but what your opponent represents and what the pageantry of what you're doing is all about, whether it's the Monday night football game or an election for mayor, commissioner, governor, or whatever other political election there could be. In the past, political opponents had an understanding of this is for the greater good, this is what we're doing, and we both understand while we might not agree in principle at what the other is saying, we both understand that we're in this to do the best that we can and may the best candidate win, and in the end and at the end of the day, whoever wins is the winner, Whoever loses did the best they could, and better luck next time. The bottom line is, in my opinion, it comes down to having a respect, whether you agree or not, being able to have a respect for the other person as a person, and having a respect for what you're part of. Because as a candidate running for office, whether it's a small three-horse town or whether it's New York or whether it's the office of the President of the United States of America, 
there is a lot of pageantry with it, and there are those that came before you, there are going to be those that come after you, and what you're doing is essentially bigger than you. Whether it's the mayor of Winchester, the mayor of New York, the governor of New York, or the president of the United States of America. Being able to have a respect for the election and for the process and for the rules and of the rules is, in my opinion, what set American political parties and opponents apart from other places around the world and maybe even what set political opponents from back in the day apart from political opponents today. And that's all because, in my opinion, of how they looked at it. They looked at each other, whether they agreed or not, as opponents and not enemies. So in saying that, let's go ahead and look at the word enemy. When looking at the definition of enemy... Of course, what you'll find is a person who is actively opposed or hostile to something or someone in life or in an event. So you can use that in a sentence by saying the enemy shot down four helicopters. We oftentimes use that in war. If you look at enemy further, an enemy possesses a threat to you or to your way of life or to your country or to the world. An enemy is someone who poses that threat to your very survival or life. It's someone to beat at any cost necessary. When you contrast that with opponent... An opponent is someone that you beat at a baseball game. An enemy is someone who you're trying to shoot down their helicopters. There's definitely a difference between the two words. And it's important to note, like when you're talking about enemy, and that's mostly used in war, that's seen as a life and death type situation where opponent is more uh, a game or you'll think of a friendly game, or maybe it might necessarily not be friendly, it might be unfriendly, but it's still not life and death. So how do we look at other political parties today? How do the Republicans on the national level look at the Democrats on the national level? How do state Republicans and Democrats look at each other? How do you look at people of the other side? Even just locally in Winchester or Muncie or Anderson or just saying East Central Indiana or wherever you live in your area with your local people, your local Republicans, your local Democrats, whatever side you fall on, how are you acting towards those people? What do you think of them? What do you feel about them? And how do you see them during campaigns and then even afterwards? How do the Republicans and the Democrats think of each other? What are they thinking behind their closed doors? What are they thinking and saying and doing and how are they acting towards each other and about each other in public? Is this a situation where we're looking at each other as opponents, or are we looking at each other as enemies? 
Because when you look at each other as opponents and you understand that it's just politics, then you understand that campaigns are simply campaigns and at the end of the day, we're all here for the same thing or supposed to be here for the same thing, which is the good and betterment of the community or the state or the country as a whole. And speaking of as a whole, for a little bit of levity, I figured I'd give a quick joke. What did the proctologist say to the astronaut? What do you think of Uranus as a whole? (laughs) All right, getting back to reality. We're all supposed to be here for the same good, trying to do better within the community, And questions and thoughts and concerns, even if they're different than yours, are just those of someone who doesn't necessarily agree, but they're not bad. It's not life-ending. It's just someone posing a different set of beliefs or values or thoughts or opinions to an idea or a thought or way something should happen than you have. And if we can look at everyone in the political realm as the same as us and be able to have respect for them, even if they're different, even if they don't necessarily go for the same things that we go for, even if they've ran against us, even if they're Democrats and we're Republicans, and even if they ask questions that we don't like, if we can look at them as being in the same field of play as we are, and we both have the same, at least, major goals in mind of trying to make things better, then I think things would be, on the whole, better. And at the very worst, if we look at them just as an opponent and not an enemy and not somebody who's trying to kill us or destroy our very way of life, then I think things will be better in the political cycles and campaigns won't be as vitriolic and we won't have so much hate for people who ask questions like I do after elections are over. And this is specifically interesting to me because I am somebody who voices my opinion. I am somebody who asks questions. Before this podcast, before I started making political posts and political videos two years ago on Facebook to, one, inform citizens of what was happening at city council meetings and with their elected officials because most people just didn't seem to know or understand, and most people weren't paying attention. And I was also expressing my outrage and my disgust at the mayor, currently at the time of Winchester, and the council who was attempting to jam an ill-fated drug rehab center down the citizens' throats with Winchester paying for this. Also, this mayor at the time could try to advance his further political aspirations, I was in the process at that point of simply just trying to notify people. I didn't know that I was leading up to making a podcast and to making this a thing. But even before I did all of that, I attended council meetings. I followed elections. I was involved with campaigns. I had ran twice for election, once as a Democrat in Delaware County when I was 19 
And then once I really got my bearings and realized that I was a Republican or a conservative, I ran for Winchester City Council at large seat as a Republican. But even before all of that, during all of that, and up through and including today, I have always been able to talk with both sides, be friendly with Republicans, Democrats, and Libertarians. I've always been able to support the best candidate over the party. I've always had friends on both sides, and I've always had people that I have not supported on both sides. I'm not somebody who says, I will just support the Republicans because I'm a Republican, and I will never support Democrats because I'm a Republican. I have voted for plenty of Democrats in my life, and I will vote for more Democrats in my life. And I have voted against and campaigned against a lot of Republicans that simply haven't been the person, in my opinion, for the job. I am somebody who has, for as long as I've been involved with this stuff, been able to have compassion for both sides and have an understanding, even if it's not my belief, I strongly believe that I can argue against myself, meaning I might not have been in favor of Nora Powell. However, I could absolutely have ran her re-election campaign. I might not have been a fan of Sean Byram, but I could have argued in favor of the Winchester Drug Treatment Facility. I am somebody that can look at both sides, and I don't think I'm special because of that. I just use common sense, and if we could all use common sense and try not to be so vitriolic, they say, and there are detractors out there who say about me that, oh, he's just so negative and blah, blah, blah. That is furthest from the truth. I'm the most realistic. The reason those people are saying that is because they're less realistic than what they try to portray because now the table has spun. Now they're the ones in the power and truth is being spoken to them or to their guy, to their flag waver, and they simply don't like that. That's not something that they can abide by. But if they were using common sense, they would realize when you're in the position that you're in, I'm not the enemy, and I'm not even really an opponent. I'm just somebody who is going to seek the answers and speak on it. And I'm not necessarily saying that I am always right. It's just my opinion, and that's what floors me. That's what really, really, really floors me. Because I speak out using my thoughts, using my feelings, and knowing and understanding the process simply because I've been involved and paying attention for the last 25 or 30-some years. And because of that, I express my thoughts, my concerns, and my feelings. And real quick, I want to say on a side note, you don't have to be involved for 25 or 30 years. You can express your thoughts and concerns right now, day one. That's the beauty of it. The most important 
thing is to always keep attempting to educate yourself so you are better informed, so you have an understanding of what you're speaking of, and so that you know what the ins and the outs and the processes are. You don't have to be a political science major. You don't have to be or have been an elected official or someone who's paid attention to politics for the last 70 years to have a thought or opinion. The fact and the good graces that you had to have been born an American, that God granted you that privilege, that alone allows you to be able to participate in the process. Now, of course, when you've been paying attention and been involved in year six, you should know more than you do in year one, and your knowledge and your understanding should continue to increase. But in politics, there are no stupid questions. It's better late than never, and something is always better than nothing. The people who are just completely apathetic and don't pay attention and don't care and say it doesn't matter, they are a big part of the problem. Because if more people cared and more people were involved and more people were active, common sense would rule the day. Because most people are not whacked out far-right Republican conservatives or far-whacked-out left-wing liberal crazies. Most people tend to be more in the middle and more prone to common sense. And common sense dictates that public officials should be accountable, public officials should do things under transparency, and that questions are okay. Remember back to the beginning of the show, there are no stupid questions. When you're dealing with opponents or people that have the respect that you have for the institution and for the process, and you're not dealing with your enemy, it's okay if someone asks a question because they're not doing it to try to kill you. They're just doing it to try to get an understanding. And that's how we need to look at it. If an enemy asks you a question, you say, ah, yeah, go to hell. You can't ask me that. I'm going to poke your eyeball out. But when an opponent asks you, you understand you might not like it. You might not appreciate it. But at the end of the day, it's just a damn question. However, enemies look at you and enemies say, you don't have a right to talk. Enemies say, we want to roll over you and crush you. Enemies say, we must protect our side against those people at all cost. And that's kind of what I feel like sometimes when I'm asking questions of people who I have supported. You know, all right, so I support John Doe. I see that he's in office and I'm going to ask questions because I have questions, because I'm curious, because I've been involved, and because I've asked everyone else in his position since the early 90s questions, and I've been curious, and so it's not a dig on John Doe, it's just that that's what I do, so I ask questions, and along with that, I express my thoughts, my feelings, my concerns, my worries, and my opinions, and that's when I'm nailed for that. 
They call me stupid for that, and they say I shouldn't express my opinions, and how dare I express my opinions, and no one cares, and it doesn't matter, and my thoughts and my concerns don't matter, and why should I be able to express my concerns? And what's comical about that is they're using their same thoughts, feelings, and opinions to express that another individual shouldn't be able to express their thoughts, opinions, feelings, and that's when you know something is broken. That's when something is seriously messed up. That's when I know I'm looked at as an enemy, or if you ask questions, you're looked at as an enemy, or the other side looks at you as the enemy when they don't even want you to speak. And why is that? And I'm not just necessarily talking on the local level. Yeah, it's happening on the local level. It has happened to me just within the last two days. But it's happening at the state level, and it's happening at the national level, and it's something that those of us who are concerned Those of us who are engaged, who are getting educated, and who are getting active and involved and being active and involved on the local, state, and national levels, we have to fight back against. This is part of being involved. Once we're getting involved and once we're trying to fix the broken local government and the broken state government and the broken national government, once we're attempting to better government through our citizen involvement, then we have to look at the whole process of it and we have to do it better. Right now, 45% of Republicans just across the board, 45% of Republicans view Democrats as a threat, a real-life safety concern threat. Meanwhile, 41% of Democrats view Republicans as a real-life safety threat. We have had an increasingly dark view, in my opinion, of the survival of America. Republicans and Democrats both believing that the people just on the other side of the aisle, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, friends, cousins, just from across town who have a different political belief, are the enemy. They are believing that we're not just wrong in our beliefs, like the Democrats believe I'm not just wrong as a Republican, or the Republicans are believing they're not just wrong as a Democrat, but they're believing that we are malevolent, that we are bad. And I have heard that. I have heard people judging me because I'm asking a question to an elected leader I've heard people refer to me as bad and evil and malevolent. And that's right in line with everything else that's happening on the state and national level. Do you know that in 1960, 5% of Republicans would be displeased if their child married a Democrat? Meanwhile, 4% of Democrats would be displeased if their child married a Republican. In 2010, 
49% of Republicans would be displeased if their kid married a Democrat. And 33% of Democrats would be displeased if their child married a Republican. Somewhere along the line from 1960 to 2010, something has went wrong. We've developed this tribalism. People born in 1930 understood the importance of America and the free democracy, and 72% felt that it was important to be born in America in a free democracy. Meanwhile, those of us born from 1980 forward only 30% of my cohorts, my peers, feel that it's important to be born in a free American democracy society. There are issues going on here where core convictions are changing, even to the point, like I'm mentioning and have been mentioning throughout this, where as a Republican if I dare ask other Republicans questions, my fellow Republicans will turn on me. I've had people call me Democrat. I've had people call me 214. I've had people tell me that I'm not conservative enough because I ask questions to conservatives. What is wrong with that mindset? That is a fallacy. It's a, it's a broken way of thinking something's wrong same as if there's a democrat that questions a democrat i've heard democrats speak out about hillary clinton or barack obama and i've heard other democrats fight them and be mad at them because of that and that is such an evil way of thinking to me that is the enemy that type of thinking and it's pervasive across both republicans and democrats and it's pervasive on the national stage the state stage and at the local level right here at home in your backyard across the street down the way and over in the next community when we're looking at each other's as being the problem because we want to be involved and it might not be the way that I see it, that's a problem. When you're mad at me because I'm asking things that might not be the way you see it, that's a problem. You are able to express your thoughts, your concerns. And listen, even if your thought and concern is... Christopher Bilbrey shouldn't be able to express his thought and concern. By all means, you're able to say that, to post it, to write it, to do whatever you want with it. But what is that doing? You're not using your amazing God-given right to be active and involved and trying to push your thoughts, your, your hopes, your policies, your agendas you're using your voice, your God-given voice, to try to crush me down and stop my involvement? And I'm seen as the bad guy because of that? That is insane. That is crazy. Among Democrats 
and among Republicans. And we need to pull back on that. If I say something that you disagree with, debate me on the facts, the merits, the principles, and the points of what I've discussed and what your belief is. A debate to my theory that, for example, Gretchen Cheeseman is not the best person for community development is not to say, well, you're a bad guy because you're speaking on something that you have no business speaking on because you're from Winchester or... You know, you just like stirring trouble. Well, telling me I just like stirring trouble doesn't negate what I just said. Tell me why Gretchen is a good person for that job. Then I'll tell you why I think she isn't, and that's a debate. Now, we might not walk away from that agreeing, but at least we will have had a debate rather than me expressing my thoughts or my concerns or my feelings or my opinions through my God-given First Amendment right, and you just simply calling me an idiot. You're listening to Perception is Reality, and we'll be right back after this quick break. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying, totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. And now, Perception is Reality, with your host, Christopher H. Bilbrey. Franklin Delano Roosevelt once said, I ask you to judge me by the enemies I have made. You've all made a few people upset over your political careers. Which enemy are you most proud of? (laughs) Well, in addition to the NRA, um, the health insurance companies, the drug companies, the Iranians, um, (laughs) probably the Republicans. The Tennessee Democratic Party has named its number one enemy for 2016, Republican State Senator Todd Gardenhire. After all, Gardenhire is the first Republican to hold a seat in the 10th District in four decades. The biggest enemies here are not necessarily the open borders Democrats. They're doing what they always do. It is those Republicans in Washington, D.C. who are willing to throw uh, President Trump and his voters and supporters under the bus uh, to preserve their their own power. These are just dishonest, terrible people. I'm telling you that. We are in a war with selfish, foolish, and narcissistic rich people. Why is it a shock when things turn violent? Hashtag hunt Republican congressman. Enemy, 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 enemy. Why don't we quit looking at and calling and thinking of the other side, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Green Party, Independent, whatever, people who are different from us in our opinions, enemies? Unless, I guess, they are the enemy. But then, what is that 
What does that mean? What do we have to do to prove that? Who's in charge of proving that? How did we go from opponents in 1940s and 1950s and 1960s and 1970s to enemies in the 90s and the 2000s? What is it going to take to stop this brainwashing? Because I don't care if you want to look at it from the top to the bottom or the bottom to the top. It's affecting us in each and every course of political action that is taken. And every question and answer and thought. All you need to do is get on any any live streaming political event and look at the comments. Just get on social media. It's people just tearing people apart just to do it. You can't get on a video of the Beatles playing Let It Be and not see people arguing with people. And maybe we just need to back that down a notch. Maybe we need to just try and take a couple deep breaths and realize that Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Green, Independent, whatever, Beatles, Stones, we're all just people trying to do what people do and get from here to there. And politics doesn't have to be some kind of big attack. Questions don't have to be some kind of big attack. We need to rewire our brains to understand the process of being opponents in the same respectable field other than enemies. You're listening to Perception is Reality. We'll be right back. Perception, perception is reality. Reality. Perception is reality. Reality. Well, that's going to do it for this big 69th episode of the show. We've started taking a look at what the issue is, and over the next several episodes, I hope to start to look at maybe why this has happened and what we can do to better fix the process. But it's not just me, and it can't be just me. I need your all help as well. So do me a favor and help spread this episode to everyone you know. Remember the home link, perception.fireside.fm and all other podcast hosting sites. God bless and see you next time. You've been listening to Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey. Bilbrey. Tune in, like, and subscribe at perception.fireside.fm. Hook up on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Bilbrey318 and on Twitter at PISRBilbrey. Email khbilbrey at gmail.com or get off your butt and call the show at 765 546 9796. Till next time, remember, perception, perception is, is reality. Reality. This has been Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey, where we aim for better government through citizen involvement.